something to worry about. Still, we should be open to new interpretations of the law, as long as they're supported by two prophets or teachers. No, to delay the troubling matter even further, friends, you know about this teacher, this rabbi that's been traveling through Galilee, that's been causing quite a stir. He's been called uh, the likeness of Elijah. He's been called the great prophet. In fact, he's even been called more than that with the miracles he is doing. Some of them are saying that he may be the Messiah. His name is Jesus. Some say Jesus from Nazareth. Some say Jesus from Galilee. Some even say Jesus the Christ or Jesus the Savior. Well, I went to see him last night. I moved along the, the busy streets during the Passover after the celebration when people were out and about in the neighborhoods and I made his way to the house that I heard he was staying at. And when I knocked on the door, I was let in and, and warmly greeted, and, and there in the room, I could immediately point him out. It wasn't because he was wearing his rabbi robe, although he was. It was that there was, even from the dim candlelight of the room, I could sense a radiance from him, a presence that only teachers of the law seem to have, but he had it more than I've ever seen before. Everyone in the room, there was about a dozen or so men and, and some women there, and they were sitting on blankets in the room, and they were interacting. They were having a conversation. And the conversation calmed as I stepped in, and, and Jesus looked up at me, and he said, Ah, come in, come in. Be seated. Join us. And before I sat down, I, I looked at Jesus, and I said, Rabbi, greetings. You're, we, we know that, that God has sent you to us because your miraculous signs are evidence that God must be with you. Now, friends, I, I was really just being pleasant with Jesus because I, I really was more interested in discussing what I thought the law should be versus what he thought the law should be. But before I had a chance to really dive into what I wanted to talk about, he said, Nicodemus, I tell you the truth. Now, you know that when, when a teacher says, I tell you the truth, that we're supposed to st- take note, that we're supposed to pay attention. It's, it's kind of like, this is a test question. And so Jesus said, Nicodemus, I tell you the truth. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And I said, what do you mean, unless you are born again? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? I mean, at first I thought he was speaking of our Gentile converts because they literally must be born again or figuratively must be born again. They they must cut off the ties to their families. They must adopt our laws. They must um, come into the family of Israel and, and be part of this nation and follow the law to the best of their abilities. But... But I am from the tribe of, well, that can trace its way all the way back to Abraham. I'm already Jewish. I don't understand why I would need to be converted or I would need to be born again. But I think he was speaking about being born from above. Because, because then he said that, that I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of spirit. 
See, humans, humans reproduce only human life. But the Spirit, the Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. And as I looked at Jesus as he finished this statement, the wind blew so loud outside that the leaves were shaking and the tree branches were shaking. And I literally thought they were going to come through the window. And then it got calm again. And Jesus started speaking about, about the wind. Well, I wasn't sure if he was speaking about the wind outside or if he was speaking about the wind that is the spirit. Because for us, you know, they, that we use the, the Hebrew word ruach, for wind, that also means spirit. And, and lately, with all the influence of, of Greece, we've been using the word pneuma a lot. But it still means both wind outside and spirit. Because then Jesus said, the pneuma blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the pneuma, but you can't see where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with people born of the pneuma. I mean, friends, this is clearly a reference to Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 36, the prophet said to the people, of it, the people, the Jewish people, he said, I will sprinkle you with clean water and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new pneuma in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and I will give you a tender, responsive heart. I will put a new pneuma in you. I will put my pneuma in you. And then you will be careful to obey my decrees and follow my laws. Being born of water must be a reference to turning from our selfishness and turning towards God. And being born of spirit, well, that must be about following God's regulations. But friends, you know that we Pharisees do this better than anyone. We follow the law as, as hard as people can. Besides, Jesus did just say that I wouldn't be able to explain this. And clearly I can. So, so I asked him, well then how, Jesus, are these things possible? And he wasn't rude. He wasn't arrogant. He just matter-of-factly said, Nicodemus. You are Israel's teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. Then he looked at what I can only assume are his disciples, his followers sitting in the room, and he said, we speak of what we know and what we have seen. And yet you won't believe our testimony. And if we speak about, if you won't believe our testimony about earthly things, then why would you believe our testimony about heavenly things? I mean, what did he mean? I didn't believe these things. I was clearly quoting from the prophets. I know where he's getting this information from. What does he mean? I don't understand these things. I know these facts. And just as I was about to tell him that, then he speaks about heaven. He said, no one has ever gone to heaven and returned. But the Son of Man has come down from heaven. Now, now, friends, the Son of Man term is only in our great teachings a few times. Ezekiel uses it when he is referring to himself, and Daniel uses it when he's referring to the Messiah. 
Now, clearly, he must be making the reference about Daniel and the Messiah because we all know that Ezekiel did not come down from heaven. But what's even more perplexing is when he said, and as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so too the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Now, now why did Jesus move from being born again to being born of water and of spirit to talking about the prophets to then Moses and the bronze snake? I mean, you all remember in our holiest teachings, Numbers 21, where, where the bronze snake incident happens, our, our, our people, the Hebrews at the time they were called, were wandering through the desert when God miraculously had brought them out of Egypt and Moses, our great leader, our great priest, our great prophet was with them. And it was through Moses that God gave us the great, the law, what we love. And yet times were tough and they were complaining about just about everything. And so God caused poisonous snakes to come into camp and the venom caused burning and pain and then death. And the people, some of them for the first time in their life, cried out to God and said, Moses, tell God to remove the snakes. We confess that we have sinned. We confess that we have done wrong. Just, just get rid of the snakes. Except, you know what? You know, because you teach this, right? Or you should. God didn't get rid of the snakes. Instead of getting rid of the snakes, God told Moses to make a replica of the poisonous snakes out of bronze, to put it on a pole, and to stick it high above camp. And that, that anyone who looked at the pole with the snake in faith would be healed. And they were, if they did. And at that moment, it really got me thinking. Why didn't God just remove the snakes? Why didn't he just take this away? Fellow teachers, maybe it's because he wanted our rebellious ancestors to do something. I mean, if they had kept the law, they wouldn't have gotten into this place in the first place, but they didn't. But still, it seems like Jesus is saying there's a different way to be healed. There's a different way to be right with God. It seems as though Jesus was telling me that instead of keeping the law, I had to do something. I had to believe something. I had to have something. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so too the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who looks at him in faith, who believes in him, has eternal life. Friends, this is 
troubling. We need to pray about what we need to do about Jesus. What are we going to do with Jesus? When we have our next meeting, we must discuss this. So in that conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus, he, Jesus, shares the gospel. Later on in Matthew 28, Jesus says, commands us to make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching them to obey his commands. So how do we do that? How do we live out that statement, which we commonly call the Great Commission? I know that we use the term evangelism, and that often is a, a scary term. Um, and, but it's, a, it's something that it represents us giving hope to people. So how do we share the hope we have with others? Well, I think the first thing we need to do is to be prepared. One of the top reasons that people give for not sharing their faith is something along the lines of, well, I don't know what to say. Or, I don't have a little booklet with me. Or, I don't want to use a booklet, but I still don't know what to say. So, we need to have some sort of way, method, process to be able to communicate this hope, our faith that we have. And something that communicates everything that person needs to know to become a follower of Christ. There's a variety of ways out there. One of the ways that I like is a simple three-word outline. Problem, solution, response. And in, in talking about that, I can talk about the problem. That our sin separates us from God. People need to understand that there's a problem because if there's not a problem, you don't need a savior. If you're not drowning, drowning, you don't need a lifeguard. So you need to have some sort of understanding that there is indeed a problem. Uh, Romans 3.23, for example, says that. Um, that we are separated from God. Uh, 1 John 3.4 relates the same thing, that that our sin brings lawlessness. So we need to share with someone that there is indeed a problem. The second thing is solution. That Jesus' death on the cross paid for that penalty we've incurred because of our problem. Not only has he forgiven us, but he's also freed us from the power of sin. Um, John 14, 6 says that Jesus is indeed the only way. Uh, Romans 6, 6 through 10 relates how that our sin is, has no longer any power over us. Um, Colossians 2 relates how we are forgiven. All of our sins are forgiven. And not just the things, the bad things that we've done, but past, present, and future. Everything has been forgiven. Our solution is there. They need to know that that 
is the solution to this problem that they have. They also need to know a response. Knowing the first two things, that we have a problem, that we have a solution, isn't enough. We need to respond to, believe, and accept that. Uh, John 1, 12. Uh, and uh, Romans 10, 9 and 10, that we need to accept it. I was talking with someone, and he, as you know, following along, he's like, okay, I can, I can accept that we have a problem. I know I've done some bad things in my life. And, yeah, I can see how Jesus is, is the solution. You know, he solves that. And then, as we were talking about that he needed to accept it, he said, well, right now, I'm, I'm living with my girlfriend. Do I have to move out if, if I accept Christ? And I said, well, no, it's not a requirement. Uh, you don't have to move out. But I think that Christ will move you in that direction, just of how he wants us to live. And so he looked at me and said, yeah, I don't want to accept Jesus then. This is just too important to me. And I said, okay, well, you know, let me know how it goes, if she breaks up with you or whatever, you know. Uh, you know, let me know. And, and, and so he, even though he said he believed that there was a problem, he said he believed that Jesus was the solution, he did not have eternal life. He did not accept Jesus' gift. That is the important step that he chose not to do. First uh, John 5, 11 through 13 says, if you don't have the son, you don't have eternal life. It's, it's cut and dried. So if you haven't responded yourself to this, whether you believe that we have a problem, that we have a solution, but you haven't accepted. Or if you want to hear more or have this explained further, talk to me afterward or talk to Rob afterward. One of the reasons that I like this simple outline, problem, solution, response, is it's easy to remember. And even some of the verses for each one, I can easily recall them regardless of the situation I'm in. It also keeps me on track. I know where I'm going. I know I need to talk about the problem before I get to the solution. If I talk about the solution first, people are like, oh, I don't have a problem, so I don't care. So I need to have that progression. I was sitting with someone who was sharing Christ with, with another person, and he was all over the map. And he was sharing, the, and I knew what he was talking about, and I had a hard time following him. And the guy that he was talking to, he, he had this confused look on his face, and he's like, he had no idea. He walked away probably more confused than he started. So that problem-solution response is an easy way to keep me on track. I know where I'm going. It also is very adaptable to whatever situa situation I might be in. I, at one point, really felt that God was telling me to talk to a particular person. And so I, I walked over and... and introduced myself and started talking to this person and I asked if he wanted to, um, to dialogue about Jesus and he said, sure, I'd be happy to. he got five minutes and then I got to go. Okay, so I, using this basic outline, I shared Christ with him in five minutes. 
I don't know how effective that was. I don't know the result of it. That's not the point. That's God's responsibility. My responsibility was to be faithful to what God was telling me to do. And that was to share with him in five minutes. I've also had opportunities where I've sat down with someone for an hour and have walked through the same steps. And, well, let's talk more about the problem. Let's talk more about the solution, why Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. All these roads that all the people talk about, they don't go to the top. Uh, the question isn't, why is there only way to heaven? But the question is, why is there any way to heaven? So I can talk more about that. Or I can talk more about response of, this is what it looks like to live as a follower of Christ. And we can explore that more. So using that same outline, those same three words, I can adapt it to whatever situation I might be in. It's easy for me to keep on track. The point really is not the method or the tool or however it's presented, but as 1 Peter 3.15 says, that we need to be ready to give a reason for the hope we have in Christ. We need to be ready. Knowing that outline, knowing some verses that go along with each one, means that I can be confident when I'm asked, if someone were to ask that pointed question of, okay, I want to know Christ, how do I do it? Well, let me say, let me share it with you. So I would challenge you, if you don't have a way right now of sharing Christ, is to take that, those three words and pick some verses that are meaningful to you and write it out. What would you say in five minutes if someone said, I want to know Christ. i got to leave in five minutes. How do I do it? If someone were to say, hey, let's have coffee. I want to know about your faith. Tell me how I can have it. What would you say in an hour? Write it out. Rehearse it. Think through it. The point being is that to be prepared. Can you share the hope you have with that person? Uh, so... That's the point. So that's the first thing, to be prepared. The second is to be intentional. Being intentional sometimes means that we go to a a particular location and share the gospel with someone, whether that's downtown Minneapolis or Kosovo or someplace in between. But we have some, the whole purpose of why we're going is to do that. But being intentional also means that we share the same things with those around us. Those we have a lot of contact with, those that we have maybe one encounter with. Sometimes people talk about, well, I'm doing friendship evangelism. That's fine. Uh, Being nice, being good, being generous, being loving is, is a necessary part. But often we don't actually get past the friendship part to the evangelism part. We're friends, and that's good. But, you know, I've got friends who are Buddhists, and they can be just as generous as I can. Sometimes they're, they have got better re- reputations than people who go to church. So being kind and generous is good and necessary, and sometimes all that's appropriate in a given situation. But if it just stops there, it doesn't give that person enough information to become a follower of Christ. Yes, they may think you're a nice person. They may even know that you go to church. 
But if you're not intentional of sharing the problem, solution, and response with that person, they won't know how to have that forgiveness. Being intentional also means that I'm aware of the opportunities that God gives me. 2 Timothy 1, 7 and 8 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. I had a conversation with someone, and this person asked me what I thought about angels. And I said a few things. And, and then I said, well, you know, to really understand angels, because, there's, because they are messengers from God, you really need to know God. You really need to have a relationship with Christ. Do you have a relationship with Christ? And this person kind of looked at me and said, well, I've gone to church a couple times. I don't think so. I don't, maybe. And, and I said, well, let me show you how. And I used the problem, solution, response. And so, and I, I really know that God gave me that, those words, that context, to be able to share with that person. Sometimes it's a question from another person, and that's a pretty easy transition. Sometimes it's a, it's a good, pointing question that we can ask um, someone else. Well, have you thought about this? Oh, well, no, let's talk about it. And, and being able to share the gospel through that. But it's being aware of the opportunities that God gives us. Being intentional means that I'm also aware of my audience, who I'm talking to. Jesus, in that conversation with Nicodemus, brings up a number of things from the Jewish history, from the Jewish Bible, that he never talks about when talking to Gentiles or non-Jewish people. He doesn't bring it up because they have no content. They don't understand it. He just sidesteps all of that and, and goes somewhere else with it. So for someone that is broken, someone that is really hurting, I probably don't need to spend a lot of time saying that we're sinful and you know, we've got problems. Yeah, I understand that. That's why I'm here. But for someone who thinks they've got all their ducks in a row and they've helped enough old ladies across the street that when they get to heaven, St. Peter will usher them through the white pearly gates with choruses of hallelujah. I probably need to spend more time that you actually have a problem. You have this sin that separates you from God. Doing good things isn't enough. So as much as we can, we need to be aware of who we are talking to. And, make, and not changing the story, not changing what we say, but emphasizing what's meaningful to that person. So we need to be prepared, we need to be intentional, and we need to rely on the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, Jesus says that he is sending his Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to give us power so that we can be his witnesses in the entire world, in our, in our community, and in, to the ends of the earth. We have his power that enables me, that enables you to do more things than you are naturally able to do because of the Spirit's power. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit for the opportunities that he does give us, regardless of whether we think it's important or not. Well, I can talk to that person another day, next week. You may not. A good example of this comes from Acts 8. Philip, 
Philip and some of the other disciples are having this hugely successful ministry in a particular town. I mean, many people, it says, are coming to Christ. And the Holy Spirit takes Philip away from this largely successful ministry, puts him on a dirt road, and Philip talks to one man. Now, in our, you know, counting, we'd say, well, you know, a stadium full of people, one guy. I don't understand. But that one man, that Ethiopian, goes back to his nation that we know from other sources, and he affects the entire nation where the church had never been yet, through that one man. So while we would think, well, Philip got to talk to one guy, everyone else got to talk to hundreds. You know, how did Philip? That was kind of a failure. But the Holy Spirit used that to affect not just a stadium of people, but a nation of people. So we need to rely on the Holy Spirit for the opportunities that he gives us, whether we think they're significant or not. We also need to rely on the Holy Spirit because it is he who changes the hearts of people, not us. I was sharing the gospel with someone. I was really nervous. I was stumbling over my words and, frankly, feeling very foolish. And I got to that point of asking this guy if he wanted to accept Christ. And I I didn't say these words, but my tone was very much, you don't really want to do this, do you? And and, And he looked at me and said, you know, this is what I need. I need Jesus in my life. And I sat there stunned. Because, you know, I'm thinking I just botched the entire thing. And, and here the Holy Spirit used my faithfulness, not really my words, but my faithfulness to share with him, and he accepted Christ. So my responsibility is to be faithful to the opportunities that he gives me, not the other person's response. The other person's response, that's the Holy Spirit's responsibility, not mine. Whether I am disappointed or frustrated because I want this other person to you know, experience the hope, the joy, all of that that I have, but if that person doesn't, it's not on me. Yeah, I can be frustrated, but it's not my responsibility. That's God's. And if it's God's responsibility, then it frees me to share Christ as he leads, not to worry about what the other person may do, whether they accept, reject, laugh at me, or embrace Christ. That is his responsibility. So we need to be prepared. We need to have some sort of way, some sort of process, way to communicate the gospel. Problem, solution, response is one option. We need to be intentional. We need to be able to get to the point of saying those words. Do you want to accept Christ? Here's what it looks like. Here's what it is. If we're just kind, we're ultimately no different than anybody else. We need to be able to say those words. And we need to rely on the Holy Spirit. Ultimately, it is being filled with 
controlled by, empowered by, directed by the Holy Spirit, that we are effective, that we are confident in sharing our faith with others. When we are controlled and empowered by the Spirit, we will see Him use us in ways that we wouldn't otherwise. So that ultimately is the key. If we are filled with the Spirit, then we will see God use us to share the hope we have with others.